Welcome to the LifePoint Palm Bay Sermon Podcast. We encourage you to make copies of this message, but please don't charge for those copies. If you'd like to know more about LifePoint Palm Bay, please visit lifepointpb.com. And as you are moving back to your seat, if you need a Bible this morning, maybe you forgot yours. Um, the ushers have them in hand. And if you'll just wave at one of these guys as they walk down the aisle, they'll pass the Bible to you. We're in Ephesians chapter 4, still in verse 11. There may be some other scripture I'll mention if you want to turn and look at it, but if you'd like to have your own copy, you can do that. Now, there are just a lot of neat things in the service today, a lot of special things. I'm just excited about a presentation of new members and those who said, hey, God's called us here, and uh, we know this is the place he has us at this time. Uh, it is not one of those things where it's like you sign in blood and, you know, if you don't show up, we come track you down. Um, but if you don't show up, we do care and you're part of us. And so uh, until God does something different, until he says, hey, I've got something else for you. I've got different mission, different ministry. Part of that is what we've been talking about uh, these last few weeks as we've been in Ephesians chapter four and looking particularly at verse 11, where we talk about this fivefold gifting or ministry to call different things uh, and how God puts this within the body because he wants us to look like him. He wants us to look like Jesus while we're here on this earth. And Jesus was all five of these and he did them perfectly. We don't always do them perfectly, but we do have these gifts. The scripture there in Ephesians makes it very clear that as he's ascending, he's giving gifts to men because he wants us to operate this way. We've talked about being an apostle. We have talked about how that is the sent one. Though their apostles are geared toward new, they're geared for going out, they're entrepreneurial, they love to go out and start new things, um, whether it's around the world or across town or wherever it ha- or even within the body, but doing new things, doing something that hasn't been done before. They're not scared of that. Matter of fact, they're energized by the newness, by the not knowing what it's going to be or what it's going to look like. They're very structurally minded. And and so and they see structure. They see how things could all fit together. So you have apostles. Often apostles, we we recognize them most usually in the church because of missionaries are often have this gifting. Um, uh, church planters will have this gifting, but others as well. Not just those, but others will have this. They're wired this way. There are. Also, along with the, the apostles, we have prophets that we talked about last week. And I spent a lot of time last week, and I want to make sure I make this distinction clear. It's always good when I have feedback from you all so that it helps me clarify things. We spent a lot of time last week talking about the act of prophesying. And in 1 Corinthians 14, prophesying is what Paul says, I wish you all would do this. Matter of fact, if, if you're going to desire spiritual gifts, a, a desire especially that you may prophesy. That you may be encouraged, strengthened, comfort, built up. That the Lord would give you that ability that he would speak through you to others that would lift them up. He says, if you want to desire a gift, really desire that one. So that's the act of prophesying. Being a prophet, having a gift of prophet is a little bit different. But we focused mostly last week about the activity of prophesying. But prophets are very much interested in hearing God. That it is really all about the relationship with God, hearing him, knowing him. There's a holiness about a prophet and their desire to know God that way. 
They understand covenant. It's very important to them, covenant, keeping covenant. They're very, very sensitive to the body of believers, hearing God and responding and walking that out, looking like the kingdom of God here on this earth. And so we, we've talked about these. This week we're going to talk about the evangelists. And some of you are like, that's not me. All right, I'm all right. I can tune out. I'm going to go ahead and go get lunch because that's not me. Well, again, let me make a distinction. All of us are called to be witnesses. You don't have to be an evangelist or have the gifting of evangelists to be a witness. We're all called to be witnesses. We all witness. We all testify to the things that we have seen and heard. The work that Jesus has done in your life, the work that he is doing in your life, you testify to that. You share it. Uh, all of us have that. But evangelist is something that's unique and special. Um, and we're going to talk more. I want you to see a little aspect of it uh, in a video. The kids, and not just kids, or adults as well, um, some of our youth and adults went to Peru about six weeks ago. And uh, they, there's a video uh, that um, they put together. I know Victoria and others have been working on this. I saw it just a few days ago. Really, really cool. Give you kind of a big, broad overview of what transpired. And I was just encouraged by it. I think you will be as well. And I think it'll kind of set up where we're going with this whole conversation about evangelists. So if we have that ready, let's go ahead and show it. It was all so good. Uh, I enjoyed the chifa, their Peruvian Chinese. Oh, everything was good. Apple cinnamon oatmeal. Pork and sweet potato sandwich. The bread? Uh, it was those sandwiches with the sweet potato and the pork. Favorite thing to eat would probably have to be the churros. The churros. The churros? Yes. <laughs> the, um... Churros. The churros were amazing. Churros. The churros. <laughs> I definitely love the churros. That was one of my favorite parts. Oh, those churros were amazing. They were so good. They were... We didn't have much sweet stuff, so it was just like, oh yeah, it was just so good. <laughs> uh, it was my first missions trip, my first time out of the country, and my first time flying on a plane. And I also got baptized in Peru along with a few other people, and that was a pretty amazing experience to have. Getting baptized. It was something I avoided, and I felt as if God was really calling me to get baptized while there. I would say the most meaningful experience was the baptisms. Um, in the first camp, there were a lot of Peruvians that had confessions of faith, and um, just hearing their testimonies and how God was working in their lives and how he used the camp to do that too. And that was just really special to me. Once they were baptized, you could see how happy they were just be part of our family and to be with God. And they weren't searching for something anymore. Teaching a seminar with Ashley and Hannah because I've never taught like a group of people before. And we told them all the words that are like hard to pronounce. And then we became friends with them and then it was just fun to teach them. The most meaningful was just being able to watch the youth interact with everybody. Young, old, 
um, willing to be pushed out of their comfort zone. Um, I know they were really pushed to, to be amongst the people constantly and they kept going forward. They had smiles and they were willing to serve in whatever way they needed to. And we were all sitting around the bonfire and we were worshiping the Lord and shivering because we were cold. <laughs> I want to travel. And so this gave me the opportunity to travel and experience a different culture. Playing with Sean and Timmy, the little guys, um, five years old and three years old, I think, was Timmy's age. It was just fun to entertain them, and uh, we got pretty close, and that was really enjoyable. Getting to talk with people and hearing different, um, just like life stories and different perspectives from living different cultures and countries. Taking pictures. I actually enjoyed being busy all the time because it made our time there feel meaningful and being able to teach people some English was pretty cool. So we had the opportunity to lead worship throughout English camp. I had the desire to have a lot of the students participate in that and they really did a beautiful job. It just kind of came together so well and not only that, but I think there were some really sweet moments of worship. The people just sang and sang their hearts out and some of them are believers, some of them weren't, but um, there was just a strong, I felt a strong presence of the Lord time, in times of worship, and I was also just very pleased to see them lead out and um, do such a good job. He showed me that even though I'm not comfortable talking with people, I can still do it and do it well with His help. Usually other people talk about how like they have conversations with God, and then sometimes I'm just like, mm, I don't think He wants to talk to me very much. but. Um, yeah, I heard God talking to me because the first couple days I was really scared. And then I just talked to him before I went to bed. And yeah, I just felt peace. My plan that I've had for three years for my future is not what's going to happen. That maybe my plan now or my future is more revolved around God and serving Him and quite possibly going on more mission trips. That it is okay to talk to people and it is not as scary as I anticipated it to be. Before we even left for the trip, um, when we went up to the front of the church and they prayed for us, I remember one thing they prayed for was that God would surprise us. I was really nervous about um, like if I'd be able to communicate with people well. And I feel like that was one of the easier parts. So I feel like he definitely surprised me in that way and he just kind of gave me peace about that. I kind of felt like what he was kind of speaking to me is like that he does want to surprise me and he wants to do things I don't expect. Other people's testimonies, um, their lives and stuff and how God was like the rock to stand on and how they got through all the stuff that they did because they had Jesus with them. And so that helps me, I guess, grow closer to God because um, my relationship with him has grown in ways that I thought that would never happen. During the English camps, um, you saw a love and a desire of people to learn English, and it was their passion about it, and they wanted to learn. I want my relationship with Christ to be how they want to learn English, and to be on fire every day. I love the video um, for a number of reasons. One of the reasons, though, is because everyone who spoke there, and even 
adults and all who were there as well that you didn't see, they're not necessarily evangelists, but God was using them to be witnesses. And you don't have to go halfway around the world to be a witness. He wants that for us. And whether you know it or not, you want it as well. There is something, if you're a believer, if the Holy Spirit resides in you, you desire to make Jesus known. It's, it's there. Now, there may be lots of things standing in its way. Um, there may be fear of man. There may be um, this concern that you don't have anything to say or you're going to say the wrong thing or you're going to mess it all up. We were having um, lunch. Actually, Chris and I were having lunch with Jim uh, the, the one day this week, and Jim asked this question. He said, have you ever said that there are other people better at sharing the gospel? They'd be better at witnessing and sharing the gospel than you are. And I thought, well, yeah, I've said that. Chris said, yeah, I've said that. He said, why do we say that? Because we believe that it's man's strength and ability and capability that gets people saved, that causes them to believe. That is false. It is completely false. It is not my wisdom, my strength, my ability. It's not your wisdom or strength, your ability to communicate that gets someone saved, that causes them to believe in Jesus Christ. It is the work of the Holy Spirit. What is my role in it? Just to be a faithful witness. That's my only role, to tell others what Jesus is doing in me, what he has done and is doing in me. This is the evangelist. They have a passion for this. They're wired this way. The evangelist, and they're so necessary for the church. And everybody in the church is not an evangelist, but the evangelists are so very necessary because they are constantly thinking of ways that they can communicate the story of Jesus to a culture that does not know. They are very individually minded. By that, I mean they look for the individual. A lot of the gifts, for example, the, the shepherding or the pastoral gift is very much community minded. You see the individual but you're very, very concerned about the community as a whole and how it fits together, how it functions, how healthy it is. This is the pastoral gifting. The evangelist sees individuals. Matter of fact, the evangelist will leave all the group over here and go after the one that nobody else even sees. Because they just, they're wired that way. They probably, in my opinion, of all the gifts, they see individuals more than anybody else. Because... There, there is something just in the way God has gifted them, the way he has wired them. This is very necessary, especially in our American church culture, because if we're not careful, everybody becomes a group. And every group is, is the, the importance, the significance of that group is determined by how big it is, how influential it is, how affluent it is, how significant it seems in some other way. And so we tend to take and categorize everything by groups. The evangelist says, no, people are individuals. Everyone matters. Every single one. And so you will see them do this. You'll see, as Philip did there in the book of Acts, where he will leave because he's called by the Holy Spirit, and he will go out in the middle of nowhere. And there he sees the Ethiopian who needs the gospel, who's reading in the scrolls already, but doesn't understand what he's reading. And he says, hey, Here's the other thing about evangelists. They are in tune. One writer calls them storytellers. And, and I like that in one sense, because a, this is the story they want to tell. They want to tell the story of Jesus in a practical, relevant way in every situation. So they're looking for ways to be able to enter into a conversation with someone, to guide a conversation so they can tell the story of Jesus 
But they, they'll do it in all kinds of different ways. In this case, Philip shows up and he's already reading and he says, do you understand? He says, how can I? I don't know what this means. Would you like to? Would you like me to explain to you what you're reading there and what this means? Yes, absolutely. It was interesting. I was talking to a couple of our youth this week, and one of them was sharing with me that they've been very sensitive, especially since going on the mission trip, they've been very sensitive about opportunities that God would give to be able just to share Jesus in a natural sort of way. So they're in class, and they're talking about fears that they have in this class. And some of the classmates said, I'm afraid of dying. I have a fear of death, which is a very common fear, by the way. And the student was able to say, you know what? I used to be the same way, but I'm not afraid of death anymore. Would you like to know why? That's an evangelist, okay? What, what do they do? They take something simple, normal, every day. How can I bring Jesus into this conversation? That's, they're wired that way. They think that way. Now, for some of us, we're not necessarily wired that way. You, you may be thinking, oh, they're afraid of death. Oh, I don't want you to be afraid. And there's no, you know, we might go a whole a number of different, but the evangelist, very much so, they, they look at this and think, this is an opportunity for me to be able to tell the story of Jesus and what he's done in my life. I remember years ago, and they find just practical, normal things. Years ago, I was reading, someone gave me the book, The Beloved Physician. It's the story of Dr. Walter Wilson. And I believe he was a, a medical doctor in Kansas City, if I'm not mistaken. But he was a very mild, soft-spoken man, a, a medical doctor. But he was a believer in Jesus Christ, and he was an evangelist at heart. And so he was always looking for ways to have conversations with people, to enter into a conversation, and always asking God to give him wisdom and creativity in the moment to see a way to, to guide a conversation. He sits down to a man one day on a park bench reading a newspaper. Now, I know we don't have newspapers anymore, but there used to be these things called newspapers that people read. And, uh, I mean, they're still around, I guess. But he was reading the newspaper. So he sits down next to this guy, this gentleman. He just uh, starts up a conversation, says, hi, you know, and t introduces himself. and said, are you interested in current events? Is he reading the paper? He goes, yeah, very much so. I love to keep up with current events. He said, well, then this, I have a question for you. Are you aware of the most significant current event in all history? As a matter of fact, every business letter, every newspaper, every magazine, every publication, every book that's ever been printed, it talks about this event, the most significant event that's ever happened in human history. Are you aware of that? And he looks at him and he's like, no, I'm not aware. What are you talking about? Every publication talks about it? Yes. Well, what is it? Well, it's the birth and life of Jesus Christ. Why does he say that? Because if it has a date on it, it is, this is 2019 A.D., in the year of our Lord. Now, they're trying to change that, but at least that's the way it has been for a long, long time. 2019 A.D., Ado in the year of our Lord. Everything that has a date on it declares the most significant event in human history, which was the birth of Jesus Christ and his subsequent life, death, and resurrection. So the guy's like, really? And he began, are, you, are you aware of that? Are you aware of that story? And he begins to share with them, to find ways to be able to talk to people, to engage, to enter in. And it just comes naturally to an evangelist. Now, this doesn't mean that an evangelist doesn't have fear. All right? Don't believe that But if you're an evangelist, it means you're not afraid to do this. Because some of you are evangelists and you think, but I still have a little fear of man or I'm a little nervous about doing this. That's fine. Just because you have this gifting doesn't mean you don't get nervous. 
doesn't mean that you don't have a fear sometimes of what are people going to think or say. But there is a burning passion within you to be the storyteller of Jesus, to communicate it. You see people, especially you see people who are irreligious, people who do not have a relationship or a concern about God and his kingdom. And you're drawn to them. Other people might miss them. They might go to others and think, ah, you know, I want to share the gospel, but that one looks too hard. Let's see if we can find an easier one to share the gospel with. Again, please to recognize that it is the Spirit doing the work and do not judge books by their cover. I'll never forget, I probably shared this story with you before. It happened a number of years ago. I was in a restaurant having lunch with someone, and behind me, someone was sharing the gospel, and they were doing a bang-up job. I mean, I was, I was cheering them on silently, cheering them on. And I could hear it because it was in the booth right behind me. So, and, but I can't see because it's behind me. So in a few minutes, I finally, um, but I'm listening to the voices. I hear the different voices. So I get up and I look back and glance over. I want to see what's going on. I want to see what's happening here. And I, I can hear uh, the one sharing the gospel. I can hear the one responding, all that's going on. So I get up and here's a guy sitting across from me who looks like he would be the cover for a biker magazine. I mean, he's got the leather vest on, he's got long hair, he's got tats everywhere and pierces and rings and everything you can imagine that says he's probably, from outward appearances, not interested in Jesus a whole lot. That's, that would have been my assumption. Here he was talking to a guy very preppy, look, you know, you know, wearing his khakis and his pity loafers back in the day, you know, the whole deal. You know, think, okay, so he's obviously the guy sharing the gospel with this guy. I was absolutely wrong. It was the guy who I thought, he doesn't look like he'd be a follower of Jesus and my stereotype. He's the guy who's adamantly, passionately sharing the gospel with this other guy. Do not judge books by their cover. Do not. See, evangelists don't. They, by gifting, by the very way that God wires them, they tend to go right past all the other stuff that becomes a hindrance to you and me. I love that. I see that evangelistic tendency in Pastor Paul, and even this morning, I think he's down at Faith Farms because of a young, because of a man that he met and encouraged and got in the program down there. And that guy, God's just doing a work in his life. He's graduating from the program this morning. I mean, and and but again, that's the heart of an evangelist. That's what they do. They they see people that the rest of us might miss, and it's not because we want to be mean. It's just we're wired a little differently. This is why evangelists are so important within the church. Because they do two things. Number one, they show us what this being a witness looks like. But they do something else. They challenge us to be redemptive agents ourselves. So that you and I are engaged in being redemptive agents. Wherever you are. That wherever you happen to be, and the evangelist is wired this way. Wherever you are, if you're at Harris, you're a redemptive agent. If you're at a school, public, private, home, it doesn't matter, you're a redemptive agent. If you're at Walmart, you're a redemptive agent. Wherever you are, you are an agent of redemption. Wherever you go, you're there and you're looking. You're open. God, show me opportunity. Lead me into encounters with people, to individuals, where you're already at work, where you're already stirring. I can tell you that I have done evangelism multiple ways. I have done evangelism where we train in particular programs. And I've done all kinds of programs. I've done 
sharing Jesus without fear. We've done EE. We've done faith. We've done four spiritual laws. I mean, you name it. All the, and all of them are great. They're all different systems and programs. None of them bad. All of them communicate the basic message. And an evangelist is all about this basic message. There is one message that the evangelist, it burns within them. That is that Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world, that we're all lost without him. But Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And that message burns within them. All right? If, if that is something that you recognize, it burns within you. It never loses its significance to you. It's just a burning passion. That's often a sign of an evangelist. And so they're constantly doing that. They're sharing it. But here's the thing. It doesn't matter whether you're an evangelist or not. The Lord wants to stir you and me in that same way. That we never lose the awe of that very simple message. That Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody comes to the Father except through Him. This message is so vitally important and by the way, it's so significant to be able to let Jesus communicate that message. I've had people at times saying, are you saying there's only one way to God? No, I would never say that. I don't have the authority to say it because I'm just like you. But Jesus did say it. And if I'm going to believe him, then I have to believe I have to wrestle with what he said. I'm the way, the truth and life. And nobody comes to the father unless they do it through me. The evangelist has the heart to let people know that, but they also are willing to be creative in it. I mean, they will all kinds of different ways to be able to communicate this message in a practical, relevant way so that people will have the opportunity to receive it. Lori asked me this week, she said, why is it that maybe of all the giftings, we struggle the most with evangelism. And would you agree with that? Would you agree that for you, that sharing the gospel with someone, especially somebody you don't actually know, that that's intimidating? How many find that intimidating? Okay, that's most everybody. You know what I found? Even evangelists find it intimidating at times, though. I've asked them, i talked to them. And they're like, Troy, don't believe that we don't have fear. It's just we have a greater burning inside than the fear. There's something that's overcoming the fear. And I immediately think of Scripture when it says, perfect love, cast out fear. I've been praying in my own life for perfect love. I don't know what perfect love looks like. I know it's Jesus. And I know it's his expression of him and his love through me. But I've been praying more for perfect love because the Scripture is very clear. Perfect love cast out fear. If... There would be natural inhibitions that you and I might have, but because of our love, we would overcome them. If, God forbid, you wake up in the middle of the night, your house is on fire. You recognize it. You get out of the house. You look around the street and you recognize your family or one of your family members is still in the house. Your natural inclination, my natural inclination is you don't run back into a burning building because there's fear. There's a recognition. There's danger here. You do not do that. But you recognize your family member or members are still in there and you're out here. What do you do? You go back in. Why? Because perfect love casts out fear. It overcomes. So I'm asking the Lord in my own life, Lord, I want to be. I want to be more and more aware 
of the people around me, the individuals that you want to speak your truth, to share your message, tell your story through me to them. And it doesn't have to be one way. You say, I don't know how to do it as well as Pastor Paul, or I don't know how to do it as well as Tom, or I don't know how to do it as well as so-and-so. You don't have to be Paul or Tom or so-and-so. You just have to be you. You just have to be who God made you because God's he's writing his story in you. And he wants to use that. My story is different than your story, but no more powerful or less powerful because it all points back to Jesus who does the changing. The evangelist is very, very concerned, too, about the, one of the distinctions between an evangelist and an apostle. An apostle will go out and start something new, and it doesn't necessarily have to be connected to the old. The evangelist wants the church to be whole and healthy because they will want something attractive to bring these new converts back to. They want to attach them to that which is already established. And so they don't want that. They, they, they are concerned. They're not just concerned about people getting saved. They're concerned about the church looking like the body of Christ, being very kingdom minded. They're interested in the church being real, both in the community and where we work and school and wherever it in our neighborhoods, that it's real. It's not just words. It's not just motion that we go through, but we're living it out. What does it look like if the if the kingdom reigned? If God's kingdom reigned in your neighborhood, would anything change? If God's kingdom reigned in Palm Bay, would it look any different? Yeah. yeah. If God's kingdom reigned where you work, would it look different? And so the evangelist is thinking about this. How do you want me to be engaged here, Lord, so that your kingdom would reign? At least in some way, your kingdom reigns here in this place. This is how an evangelist thinks, how they're wired. And so... When I was taking some of these testing for the fivefold giftings, and there's some free ones that are online. If you're interested, you can go. I, I think there was one place I went called fivefoldgift.org or so. I forget. But there are different ones that are on there. There's some free ones. There's some you have to pay for. I always start with free. Uh, free is a good price to me. And so I always start with free. And uh, you can always spend. But, uh, and so I'm doing different ones. I've, I've done several of them. One of them I've done a few times has about 80 questions in it that you go through and answer. And then it kind of shows you, based on your answers, where you might be stronger or weaker. One of the interesting things is every time I've taken it, I scored high as an evangelist, and I never think of myself as an evangelist. And I don't think that's my primary gifting. I'm pretty confident it's not. But I understand the more that I'm understanding the evangelists, I understand what it is, because they really do have a heart for the body of Christ to look like the kingdom. So that people, there is attraction. People want to be attached to it. They want to be part of it. An evangelist has this heart. They're not necessarily concerned about going out and starting something completely new. They want what's already there to be established and to be healthy and to be whole. So that people who are out there who are irreligious, who are not seeking God or his kingdom, could see that and say, those people seem to be healthier than I am. They seem to be more whole than I Not that they're perfect, but they seem to have something I don't. And I want that. This is all the heart of the evangelist. Now, I've been, and before I say this, I apologize to some of you who've already let me know that every time I mention a book, your spouse goes and buys it. And it's, and it's, and it's hurting your budget. So I apologize in advance because I'm going to mention another book. Um, 
this is one that Aaron actually recommended to me, and I've enjoyed it as he, some of his description of giftings and different things. A book by J.R. Woodward, uh, Creating a Missional Culture. But he has questions at the end of each of these sections that um, I found helpful, and others I've shared them with have found some of them helpful. So let me ask you some of these questions. If you're thinking, maybe I might be an evangelist. And by the way, we're going to have a sheet out there in the side room again this week. We also will have the ones from last week. So if you say, I discovered, I think I really am an apostle or a prophet, you can sign up there. Um, or, or if you think you're an evangelist, you can sign up there. Um, and again, I'm not selling your information. We're not putting this out, all right? I, it's for my own, for me to kind of see what God's doing and also praying about what does this look like as we move forward? How do we encourage and strengthen? How do we build the body up? And how do we cause it to build itself up so that we do all those things that are in verses 16 and, and on in this chapter? All right. If you're an evangelist, here's a question you could ask yourself. Do you have a heart for those who are far from God? An evangelist does. Do you feel frustrated that the congregation is too inward oriented? Are you recreating groups where the good news is being spread within your neighborhood or in your work or in other places? Are you actively looking for ways to have these good news groups, if you will, places where people can hear, where the story can be told? Do you find yourself helping others in the congregation view their vocation in a redemptive way? In other words, are you helping people say, it doesn't matter if you're an engineer, you're still an evangelist. Because evangelists think that way. It doesn't matter if you're an engineer, you're an evangelist engineer. All right? It doesn't matter if you're a teacher, you're an evangelist teacher. It doesn't matter. Now, by the way, when I say that, remember an evangelist is also creative in how they go about doing it in practical, normal ways because often in your profession, there are certain rules about what you can share and what you can do and what you cannot do. And I've had people come to me and said, you know, I've had six jobs in the last four months. Okay, well, what's going on? Well, I'm just being a witness and I'm sharing Jesus and they get mad and they fire me. I said, well, do they have certain rules and, you know, certain guidelines? Well, yeah, but I'm just a witness. I understand that, but you can be a witness without getting fired. All right? Because you also not only need to be a witness, you need to eat and your family needs to eat. Okay, so there's discretion, there's discernment and evangelists have that as well. You can't use that as an excuse. Say, I'm an evangelist. so It doesn't matter if I get fired from every job. I'm sharing the gospel. Use wisdom and discernment. The spirit will guide you in that. Um, do you find yourself helping others? We talked about do you find yourself equipping others to do the same? In other words, you're looking for people who will come along with you and say, hey, I they're saying, I don't know that I can do this thing. Come with me and just watch. Just come and or come and I'll let you do as much as you want. And if you get to a place where you bog down, I'll jump in. Um, evangelists do that. They're looking for others and they're, they're saying, come on, come be part of this. The thing that I love about what God is doing as I look at this is God puts all these different pieces of the body together because we need one another. We need the evangelist because most of us do struggle with fear of man and this inhibition and in just sharing the gospel with someone. Most of us struggle with that in big ways. Or we're not thinking about it. Maybe we're not struggling with it, 
but we're not thinking about it. We get through the end of the day and think, you know what? Now that I look back on it, when that guy asked me if I knew Jesus, that might have been a good opportunity to share the gospel with him. All right? But I just wasn't thinking that way. I was like, yeah, I know Jesus. I just thought he was asking for information. You know, and I moved on. Evangelists would never do that. I might do that, but evangelists never would. You see, they help us to be alert to how God is giving opportunity and take advantage of those things. Just like the prophets help us hear what God's saying. Recognize the holiness of His covenant. Recognize that we're living differently in this world and calling us to that. And the apostle is helping and saying, hey, I know you've done it this way for 157 years and that's fine, but God might want to do something new. All right, and lead us in a new direction. See, they're all needed. All resented to some level and sometimes. That's true with all the gifts. Now here's a warning. With each one of these, I've given warnings. I'll give a warning with this, with the evangelist. This can be true of all the giftings. It seems like it can be especially true with the evangelist. Be careful not to become critical and judgmental of others that you feel like are not evangelists, are not committed or serious about sharing the good news with other people. Be careful about that. It's very easy because this is the most important thing in life. People knowing Jesus, there's nothing more important. But here's the challenge that we have. We think you need to be doing this more. You're not doing enough. And this can happen with any gifting. But it seems to happen often with evangelists because this is the core message of the church. If people don't have this, what do they have? And the evangelist feels that intensely. And there can be at times a criticalness, a judgmental attitude that comes to brothers and sisters. You feel like they don't care about this. That may be true. Maybe they don't care enough. So you begin to cry out and say, God, I'm praying for so-and-so. It seems like they may not care enough about this. Do you want to stir something in them? Because remember, you don't get people saved. You don't also get people interested in other people being saved. You can't save someone and you can't cause someone else to be interested in people coming to Christ. You can't change them that way. You cannot guilt them or beat them or, 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 or force them to go in a direction that the Holy Spirit doesn't draw them in and convict them in. You're simply cooperating with Him. So be aware of this if you, have, if you think you have that gift of evangelism. Be aware of it. But here's the other thing. If you have it, Don't let others or what's happened in the past squelch that gift because the church needs it, desperately needs it. They need to be able to see you as a witness and they need to be reminded again that God's called them to be a redemptive agent in the community where they are, wherever that happens to be. Do you think you're an evangelist? Maybe. I guarantee you we've got some here who maybe before today you haven't thought of it that way. You haven't thought of yourself that way. You're thinking of the big TV evangelist and there's, you know, you're you're thinking Billy Graham. There's one Billy Graham, but there's one Paul or Tom or Rich or whoever. And we're not called to do the same thing in the same way. As a matter of fact, most of what happens in evangelism around the world has not happened in big crusades. It has not. How many of you in here got saved in a big crusade? And one, two, three. Anybody else? Three. 
what is that? One percent? How many of you got saved because of interaction with an individual? Look at that. Evangelist. And not the big ones that everybody knows. And again, I'm not dismissing that, okay? I'm not critical of that at all. I love Billy Gray. I'm not, you know, I'm not dismissing any of that. I'm simply saying that the evidence shows, at least in our lives, that God works through individuals to reach individuals. He loves to do that. He calls you to that. You should bow your heads with me. I'm going to ask the team to come up. And as they're coming... thought and so I'm just going to ask the question you can be as honest as you're able to be if you thought today that the Lord had gifted you or called you to be an evangelist would that be a scary thing to you do you just wave at me if that would be a scary thing this way yeah I see your hands a number of you that'd be a scary thing Can I remind you again that being intimidated by something doesn't necessarily mean you weren't called to do it. It just means it's a greater evidence of God's work and His power. I never wanted to speak in front of groups of people That was never an aspiration that I had. I was terrified of it. Honestly, even now, it's still not something I say that really stokes my fire. Just gets me all wound up. If somebody else can do it and wants to do it, I like letting them go on. But years ago, the Lord took 2 Corinthians 1, made it come alive for me. came to you in weakness and fear and trembling so that your confidence would not rest in the wisdom of men but in the power of God I wanted to be a demonstration of spirit and power the apostle Paul said if you're a believer today I think that that desire resides in you I don't think it's just exclusive to the the apostle Paul I don't think it's exclusive to me if you know Jesus today that desire is there I want to be a demonstration of spirit and power. And so would you this morning, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, would you be willing as the Holy Spirit leads you to say, 
Lord, use me as a demonstration of spirit and power. Regardless of what may cause me to be afraid or anxious or to retreat, I want to be a demonstration of spirit and power. And it's not my ability or somebody else's ability that gets the job done. His strength made perfect in our weakness. Your life changed. Your life being changed becomes a witness, a testimony to those who so desperately want fullness and meaning in their life. Every human being wants fullness and meaning in their life. Every human being. So seldom do they find it. Lord, would you help us today identify have you called us to be evangelists is that the work that you're doing in us and Lord are we operating are we looking for ways to encourage the church in this to motivate one another to lift one another up and sharing the story meeting people where they are looking beyond the outside to see what you see Lord in all of these giftings I realize certain ones are stronger in my life but I pray I want to grow in all of them I pray you do that work in us that we'd want to grow in all of them I pray today that you would identify the evangelist, but in all of us, you would stir a passion for evangelism to share the story, to look for opportunity, to be alert, aware. Lord, thank you. Do you remember when you came to the cross? Do you remember that day, that night, that time? There at the cross? Changed everything. Everything. Everything changed. And it's still changing. It's still working in us. Oh, to be a redemptive agent where God would use us to introduce someone else to him where others could know Jesus because we introduced him and said, let me tell you about who I know. Let me tell you what he's done in me. Let me pray for you. Even if you don't believe, let me pray for you because I believe. I believe in this one I cry out to. I want you to stand with me. In a moment, when we dismiss the service, we always have prayer partners. If we can pray with you about anything, maybe you're here today and you say, you're talking about being an evangelist, someone sharing the story of Jesus. I don't know the story of Jesus. I don't know Jesus personally. Let somebody, let somebody share with you. Let them tell you, tell you their story. And you can come up to one of our prayer partners, but you can grab somebody here and say, hey, do you know what he's talking about? Do you have this?
Do you know this Jesus he's talking about? you have a relationship with him? Do you know what this means? Let them tell you their story. God uses us, just normal us, everyday folks. Not special, supernatural people. It's supernatural because he does it, not because we do it. Ask somebody before you go. If you don't know for sure, ask somebody. Pray with somebody. If you do think God's called you to be this evangelist, that he stirs you that way, don't hide it. Don't apologize for it. And don't criticize others. Encourage them to join you, to join you in the battle. Lord, help us to be able to do that.